In part two of episode 51 of Design EDU Today, R.J. Thompson, assistant professor specializing in graphic and interactive design at Youngstown State University, joins us to discuss the four interactive courses in YSU's BFA design program. R.J. goes into specifics on how each course builds off each other and even empowers students by giving them entrepreneurial skills. R.J. also shares how he leverages grants and grant writing to create real-world scenarios for student projects. Welcome to Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is RJ Thompson, a practicing graphic designer, graphic design educator, and entrepreneur currently teaching graphic web, and interactive design at Youngstown State University. RJ formerly taught at Edinburgh University as a full-time temporary professor, adjunct professor at Carnegie Mellon University, and La Roche College as a visiting professor of graphic design. He has owned and operated his design practice, Zola Design LLC, since 2008. Before entrepreneurship and education, RJ was a graphic designer for the H.J. Hines Company, a Fortune 500 worldwide company. As an educator, RJ is able to combine his hobby with his job to present design in a fun and easy-to-understand way, not only to students, but to clients as well. RJ's entrepreneurial spirit and initiative drive him to do work that positively impacts the community. Volunteering with the Western Pennsylvania Chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, Pittsburgh East Rotary Club, and many, many more organizations has not only solidified his personal interest in community engagement, but has instilled the need to include service work amongst his students and peers alike. RJ served on the Board of Directors for AIJ Pittsburgh, the Professional Association of Design, from 2007 to 2010. With AIJ's mission to advance designing as a professional craft, strategic tool, and vital cultural force, RJ certainly understands the needs of AIJ's ideals amongst his students, colleagues, clients, and the industry in totality. Ever the learner, RJ seeks to learn as much as he can in order to bring cutting-edge knowledge of technology and design practices to the classroom. RJ is a 2004 graduate of the International Academy of Design and Technology, where he secured an associate's degree in specialized technology in visual communications and is also a 2007 graduate of California University of Pennsylvania, securing a Bachelor of Science degree in graphic design. RJ also received his Master's of Fine Arts degree in Graphic Design from Savannah College of Art and Design in 2011. RJ and his wife, Erin, live in Bellevue, Pennsylvania. This is another thing that I think design education really needs to step it up in, and it's 
it's something we kind of overlook in it. I it's training for interactive animations. I, I actually call it micro interactions when I explain it to my students, but yes. to me it's page transitions using motion clues when they like don't fill out the form popular you know properly so it shakes or drop down menus just all those kind of things you actually have a course titled motion for interactive design yes um can you describe what you do in that class sure so the basically it's it's a class dedicated to digital animation um I've I've actually rebooted. The, I'm revising the curriculum to include animate has always been a part of it. Formerly Flash, animate has always been a part of it. Um, creating animated narratives, creating interactive kiosk UI. Um, but um, the uh, the other part of it is I want to start doing video video based work. Um, we have a digital media program at YSU that that does some video production stuff, but the context to graphic design is a little bit different. So I'm starting to incorporate more video in that, and you know, create some tether between, let's say, out outputting a Premiere video and embedding that into an animate based kiosk interface. But at any rate, it's it's all dedicated to to animation, and we do explore a lot of those. Uh, those micro interactions, uh, as you call them, and I, I've, ironically, I call them sort of micro expressions, uh, but um, that's more of a term related to like the face <laughs> as opposed to design. But anyway, uh, yeah, we explore a lot of that and really focus on user experience and um, how all of that is executed within an animation and design context. So um, it could be as simple as, you know, uh, a pop-up box shaking if you didn't uh, clear a, 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 f- a form, a field on a form properly. Or, um, you know, it could it actually diverts a little bit into web-based advertising, uh, making sure that you can create an animated ad that is so hyper-compressed uh, and still maintains its resolution that – you know, it's like, how did we even get here to begin with? But uh, those are some of the things that we explore. Okay. And I I just think it's, it's such a ripe area for design to like kind of take full ownership of because even, because like even when I've been interviewing uh, other past guests in this podcast, the answer, it's like nobody really takes ownership of how the animations come about uh like one of the more common answers is like you know we kind of have an already existing house style for things so that means all their sites are getting the same type of like page transitions or 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 whatever and and then the other end is like you know we just kind of find one on an existing website and then we just show that to our developers and they recreate it and it's like you're not pushing that medium and right it's one thing that I've started doing is it's like, you know, like when you have like that very beginning intro to class, to intro to Photoshop InDesign Illustrator, I'm also throwing in After Effects and it's like, okay, you're going to animate a, you're going to animate a button open. <laughs> you're going to animate a, a click. So like they like start like realizing that they're designing the anim, like you're going to animate a, a modal pop-up. <laughs> so I make them do those kind of things just because... 
the uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the the yeah. optimal. All right, so uh, I would encourage you and and your listeners to do this. Go to iBooks and download uh, the Beatles Yellow Submarine uh, iBook. Um, that is an amazing example of where uh, not only it's an interdisciplinary solution. So not only does illustration, animation, uh, and design crossover, but so does user experience and um, you know de- development, really programming. Uh, I would love to be able to execute a project like that in my motion class where. The students and, and this this idea of the cross pollinated curriculum is actually something that I've been researching and exploring. I would love to be able to take flat print work from some of our advanced print classes, bring them into motion, and then use uh, a variety of different software to create augmented reality solutions or even just making those pages interactive a la iBooks or, or something like that, or even for a web-based format. I really think that's where things are going. Um, and it's exciting for me because I can tell my students, you think you're only relegated to a print job for the next 30 years. Well, guess what? You're not. Your life is going to be interactive. And while some of those print, the, some of that print work will matter and is important, what you need to focus on now is converting static to interactive. Um, nothing will be static. And I'm so excited at that prospect. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you got a, you know, an entire class dedicated to that. Cause the last time I've taught motion, it was for, it was, it was pre media queries. It was actually pre iPhone or no iPhone had just come out. So it was, but pre-media queries and um, so there was like really no need to really like talk about. So it was just like, we're going to make, I don't know, motion graph. We're going to make, you know, title sequences and Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, You know, one other thing before I ask my last question that you brought up that I thought about, I'm glad you're, you thinking it as well. There is a lot of video work for creating and I think the perfect example is like creating those intro videos for Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, for any kind of product, there's just like, a, there's a lot of like work for that. And I don't know if necessarily that fits into whose domain is that? Cause I, I look at that as like, that's really kind of more graphic design than it yeah. really is film. So yeah. I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. No, I, I, I generally agree with that. You know, I we have a telecommunications program in our university. And, you know, usually I would refer a project like that to one of our TCOM students whom experiences video work daily or, you know, even to other extents, the digital media where they do a lot more. Our digital media program is very focused on art, artistic driven digital media projects. It's not like for a client, client so to speak. Um, in some cases it can be, but nevertheless, I digress on that. So I, I do agree that it is, uh, it does, it, I think what I'm trying to say is, and this is what I would prefer to say, a TCOM student can make it. 
a graphic design student can make it. Anyone can make the video, but what's really important is that it has the eye of a designer. And I think that's what I see when I see those videos. Because I may not have, I, you just know it when you see it. Like you watch something, you'd be like, that person knows good design. Or you watch a, another video and be like, well, that person knows nothing about design. There's no style to it, there's no consistency, there's no concept or whatever. Uh, you just know it when you see it. And I think that. For a lot of our, a lot of my students that have an interest in video production, but don't have either the opportunity or even the skill capability, they're still able to recognize good video design when they see it. Um, and I think that just that is a skill unto itself. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. I don't know if you're familiar with the. Uh, have you seen the movie The Beginners? Uh, no, I have not. I'm familiar with it, but I have not seen it. It, uh, okay. So you're familiar with it, but the movie, so when you watch the movie, I knew in a second that, that, that movie was done by a designer and it literally was Mike Mills was, um, I don't know if you ever remember the uh, documentary called beautiful losers. He yes. was in it. He he was a, he's a graphic designer and he turned filmmaker and you could totally knew that that film was designed mm -hmm. <laughs> in the same way with Hillman Curtis, all his videos. I mean, he was a designer, then turned filmmaker. But you look at those videos and I think his videos are better than a lot of others because he's a designer. It just brought right. something to it. And so that's what I I agree with you totally 100 percent on like those videos for Kickstarters or whatever. It's like, what's the best way to get des a designer's eye, a designer's talent into the production of that? Right. But that's, I guess that's another discussion for another well, you day. You know, Sagmeister just came out with a film. So you and I, let's watch it separately and we'll yeah. reconnect on a podcast and yeah. critique. <laughs> yeah, to see if we can see the, and watch the beginners because, and especially just like the opening credits, you're just like, this is a designer. Yep. <laughs> totally get it. All right. So finally, like the last, um, I'd like to talk to you about the the projects that you introduce to students in your advanced interactive design. So this is the fourth and final course. Yes. So from looking at your course website and some of the slides from the talks you have given, the course seems to encompass user research, mm -hmm. um, OS coding and industrial design. Can yes. you talk about this whole mismatch? Yeah. So, um, the advanced interactive class is essentially the culmination of all of the interactive classes. Um, the students generally operate um, independently. It's very autonomous. Uh, there's very, there are very few lectures. It is a class where you work. And um, it's really, and, and to another extent, it, there's some self-discovery there too. So mm -hmm. there is essentially one project the entire semester, and that is the OS project. So um, a couple years back, I wanted to really dive deep into uh, user interface. And um, I discovered that my, at least at my at the time, based on the research that I did, there wasn't a lot of like really involved projects that uh, BFA students could do that really focused on the user experience, creating narratives, and uh, really 
focusing on graphic systems. Like I wanted a project that they could really sink their teeth into, completely wrap their head around, and by the end of the semester, like fully explain and articulate every design decision that they made. Um, so the OS project actually starts in intermediate interactive. It's the last project in that class. And it's a five-week-long project where all they do is they design a universal operating system for smartphones, tablets, desktops and laptops, and video game consoles. They effectively invent this concept, and they use Photoshop and Illustrator to design the user interfaces for all of them. Okay, um, and there's some specific caveats on what screens I want to see. Then they they put all of that work into a presentation, and we present it at the Youngstown Business Incubator, which was uh, the number one ranked university related uh, business incubator in the entire world. Um, and we also globally live stream those presentations. So I really put the pressure on the students to uh, excel here. Um, really what it is, it's a tryout. Basically, I invite prospective employers or internship sites to those presentations at the business incubator. And I say, here's the best of what I've got. Choose who you want, like whomever you're impressed with. Like this is your opportunity to scout and recruit my talent. So there's that professional aspect to it, but then there's also the, the academic side and the students do that. When they move on to advanced interactive, they have to create a few different prototypes of their OS project. So generally students create uh, what I call a non-controlled walkthrough. So they use Adobe Animate and they use the work that they had done previously with the OS project and they create a non-controlled uh, walkthrough of their operating system. So boot up, type in your login, uh, welcome screen loads, desktop loads, open a program, uh, articulate uh, a task in that program, close it, and then shut down the OS. That's the whole sequence. And it could take a minute. It could take five minutes. It's really up the, to the student uh, and what their narrative is. And ultimately, their narrative of that process, that sequence, is based on the design of their operating system. So they're able to take these UX principles that they've learned in class with static images and put them into practice within an animated context. So they create the non-controlled walkthrough. The non-controlled walkthrough then leads to a, con um, a, a controllable walkthrough where um, they, they, we use Adobe XD, and in some cases we've used Envision. Uh, I leave that up to the students to determine which tool is best for them. Um, but effectively, they create a clickable walkthrough. So we sit people down in front of an operating an OS project and say, okay, here's your task. You need to uh, turn it on, log in, open a program, close the program, and then close the OS. So we bring in people to test. Generally, they've been music students, which is probably not ideal, but the other side of that is that um, they're convenient because they're on the same floor as this classroom. And um, they're not designers, so they're not already skewed perceptively, so to speak. So uh, the controllable walkthrough is experienced there. 
<clears throat> and then the students need to adjust their thinking. We pivot a little bit. Um, I want them to start thinking about the experience of their um, OS in a physical context. So how you interact with your phone. Um, are you left-handed? Are you right-handed? Do you navigate with your thumb? Do you hold your phone with your left hand and use your pointer finger on your right hand and tap buttons? Uh, do you use Siri primarily to navigate? Uh, what about physical handicaps? What about visual handicaps? Um, we consider all of that, and the students have to uh, design their own uh, tablet, so effectively their own iPad iPad. Mm -hmm. So they design their own tablet, then they 3D model it, and then we 3D print it. Now the, the 3D print is essentially split. It's symmetrical, split in half, and inside is a uh, touch capacitive screen about seven inches wide by five inches tall. The screen sits in there. It has an HDMI connection. The HDMI connection goes right into the laptop. And then we run the controlled uh, walkthrough, and those same people that we tested on a laptop, we test them on the, the 3D printed uh, Arduino screen tablet, and we measure the experience there. Then the students go back, tweak, modify, reprint if they have to, so on and so forth, until we come to a completely realized full version of their tablet and their OS, and their OS on the tablet. Uh, in some cases, um, in fact, previously, we've always had it connected to a laptop, but the next time Advanced Interactive Design runs, which will be next fall, um, we are going to actually have microcomputers, you know, uh, Raspberry Pis connected to this stuff, and run it from there. Now, the, 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 the Pis, they don't have to have like a really robust OS. I mean, we could essentially take this OS and build it in HTML and CSS if we have to, to make sure it works. But it's a full-on simulation of this this project idealized. And um, I've been very proud of this work. And more importantly, I've been so excited that it's been embraced by my peers and that I've been able to present about it at conferences like UCDA um, and really show off the creative capabilities of my students, but also the um, the level of, of imagination and perseverance that goes into a project like that in the BFA level. Because essentially what I just described to you could be a master's project or a mm -hmm. thesis, for God's sake. Um, but the, the students really enjoy it, and it's fully immersive. And ultimately, I found that the students enjoy the cross-pollination of projects between different levels of classes. So if I had one project that went from advanced to, I'm sorry, from intro to intermediate to advanced to motion, they would have effectively two years of a project under their belt. And they could, in a greater sense, that's a simulation of what it's like to work as, a, as an in-house graphic designer, where you're seeing the same brand every day for years on end. So the experience is completely different than doing a one-off two-week project. Um, so that's that's effectively what Advanced Interactive is. And ideally, those students, um, now that they have 3D printing in their skill set, uh, they can take that with them to a prospective employer 
Um, and 3D printing is so new. It's not new, but it's new to academia in the respect that like some employers don't have any idea of how to use 3D printing in in their practice. So like our students could go to those people and say, well, you know, I could 3D print this solution and save you a ton of money and go from there. So the innovation is intact. You know, uh, one follow-up question yeah, <laughs> to all absolutely. that. Um, and, okay, so th- this is what I've been, I'm, I've been telling my students. So, for example, I'm doing um, in our advanced interface design course, even though we don't have a beginning interface design course. So this is just a second. <laughs> okay. But we're doing a ton of user research. So I literally am sending them out into the community. I'm saying, okay, you have to make these observations. We're coming back. We're doing analysis of these observations. We've pinpointed a problem. And now that they pinpointed a problem, they're going to start creating personas. And so they have all of this stuff mm-hmm. but what they show in their portfolio is just the end product and nobody and employers don't really care about that end product because it's no different than the 1500 other end products that they see from somebody else right they don't document that research so right. how do you get the students to document all of that stuff for their portfolio that you that you just talked about Right. So um, I'm so glad you asked this because I can address how our portfolios are executed. So um, the our portfolio, our our seniors in their in their last semester, they have to choose a faculty, a design faculty member to work with one on one whom will assist them in in executing their portfolio at its highest possible quality. This is called senior project. Now, um, when I teach senior project, I, I teach and I do this individually. So I could have three students a semester. I could have 10, I could have one right now. I have one. And with this particular student, I'm emphasizing that your portfolio work is so good. And there's so much professional experience because as an aside, she's, uh, She's a non-traditional student, so she's got a number of years of employment under her belt. But nevertheless, like her portfolio tells an incredible story. And the way that we're setting her book up, uh, the projects are going to be their own little booklets. So I try not to I, – I encourage my students to have no more than 14 pieces in their portfolio – um, and depending on the project less than for like, like I think 10 to 11 is a good number, but, uh, it depends on the quality of work. So if you have, uh, above average work, 14 might be enough to tell the entire story of your capabilities. If you have, uh, excellent work, you could probably pare that down to 10 or 11. But with this student, I recommended each project you have should be its own little four-page booklet, uh, eight and a half by eleven. And then when you collect them together, it makes one big book um, that you can, and it's all fit on tabloids, so she can print it out at a moment's notice, and it's customizable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in that format, she can really show her design methodology, her creative process, and do it effectively. Um, my peers, and this is completely their prerogative, 
um, where I prefer my students have a, an unconventional uh, approach to their portfolios, which by virtue distinguishes them against everyone else in a positive way. So if everyone has leather-bound books and then my student has a handcrafted book from nothing, uh, she's going to stand out as a consequence. But my peers, they they teach the class in their own way, and I'm not going to criticize that, but uh, their books generally omit a good portion of the creative process, um, and instead that creative process is in a separate book that can be given to the employers uh, during the interview so they, they they would go through their entire book and be like, here's my book, blah, 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 blah. If you'd like to see some of the solutions I came up with or uh, some other ideas I had for this project that you mentioned, here we go. And then they whip that out and then they – that's another presentation tool. Um, but it – you know, different strokes for different folks, so to speak. So uh, Yeah, but you know, it's – my last guest in this podcast is – um, Tim Hikes, my last guest, his episode isn't live yet, but he literally said that before he went and interviewed at Google, they sent him an article about what they expect to see in a portfolio. And the number one thing is the process. Yeah. Yeah. Because all the work looks the same. Yes, exactly. I And I'm so glad you said that because this is something I say frequently. I can teach anyone how to use Adobe Creative Suite. It's not, it's not that hard to learn. I can teach anyone how to use it, any age. Uh, and I've taught classes to like senior citizens, and I know this for a fact. You know, even those that have never really even touched a computer, they can pick it up. But I can't teach people how to be creative. I can give them the steps that might charge their thinking, um, and I can point them in directions. But ultimately, like we we work in a uh, a creative. Uh, sort of industry we definitely work in a creative industry and i can't teach people how to think uh you're either creative or you're not um if you are then you stand a higher chance of getting those better jobs if you're not then you may be a, a print production specialist for your entire career and that's okay um some people can't handle the pressure of a of a high stress high pressure creative sort of position um, but, uh, I would much rather show more process than, uh, final solutions. One thing to consider though, is that while my, I believe my students are capable of interviewing with the Googles and Twitters of the world, most of them do not stray away from Ohio. Yeah. Um, all of the employers that, uh, they're approaching are interested in those final solutions, um, sad as that may be. Um, I do have one student whom works for, her name's Keeley. She works for Webpage FX in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. They have been ranked the number one place to work in the entire state for, I think, a couple years now. And uh, they're the type of uh, high-level design agency that invests in thinking and not just solutions. So I think that as sad as it may be, those uh, agencies that fully invest in that thinking and the creative process um, are not, uh, are, they're, they're a bit of a, a unicorn. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's as simple as, you know, just teaching the students or I teach them. I do this all the time. I was like, you got to tailor your portfolio to who you're applying to. So by exactly. simply looking online and seeing how the studio displays its own work, you mimic that. So if they do focus right. heavily on the visual, you do the visual, but you also still need to like break open that there's, Hey, there's process behind this, but it's a little bit more subtle. But if it's like, you know, the other, the place is doing full on case studies. Yeah. You need to have case studies ready. <laughs> oh my God. And don't even get me started about graphic designers and writing. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> we don't do enough. <laughs> no, no. Uh, All right. and this is actually, this is actually a question I got in my, uh, tenure presentation, but again, mm -hmm. subject for another time. Yeah. All right, RJ. So b before I let you go, is there anything that you are working on personally that you would like to share or is there something yeah. that we forgot to cover? <laughs> um, so I, again, I, I have a very cross pollinated mentality between my teaching, uh, and scholarship, so I, I do a, a ton of grant writing uh, project for project-based grants, and um, I, I, I try very hard to bring unique and innovative programs and projects to my students uh, via the grant process. Um, for the past three years, I've been I've been involved in rebranding the city of Youngstown, and I've I've had a lot of successes as a result of that. I've been awarded a $100,000 implementation grant from the city to fully implement the rebranding platform uh, across the board. Um, I just recently found out that uh, I received a an award from the Ohio Economic Development Association for my work in rebranding Youngstown. And I've actually just written a few grants that uh, propose that Essentially, I want to write a book on how to rebrand uh, a city or more specifically uh, cities in revival. Um, so cities that are suffering from economic, poor economic development or um, I want to talk about how design can be used as an agent for cultural community and economic change in uh, development. And I think that is the most incredible expression of design as a catalyst for change I can think of when it's changing entire communities and by virtue of that changing people's lives. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have my students interested and engaged in this rebranding process and many of them for the past year and a half at least um, have created a number of different works for the city of Youngstown. We're sitting on like 30 different ad campaigns. Uh, they're producing video. We're doing podcasts. And um, I think that, and I would put this to, to your listeners, like find something that can really uh, involve everyone is as inclusive as inclusive as possible and really try to revitalize the place where you live work play or learn if you can um, because it's the one it's like the weather it's the one thing that everyone can relate to um, and so that's one thing that I've got going on now 
And even that tumbled into a wayfinding signage program for the city that I got some grants for. Um, I'm, I've just, I'm so busy all the time with a number of different grant granted projects that things are always exciting and always changing. And it's just, um, it's just great to see how, how design can change, uh, a community. Um, it's, it's really quite remarkable. Um, and I would encourage folks to check out cityofyou.org uh, to see what we're up to and to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, which are all available via that website. And um, hopefully I get a grant that will allow me to produce a publication that I can then, uh, you know, uh, tour on in terms of conferences and get the word out and uh, empower people through uh fully articulating this model that I've built into rebranding their own communities and um, really kickstarting things. So that's, that's what I'm up to. All right, cool. Can I ask you one follow-up? Yeah. Again, from this podcast, that is the one that is like the one of the common threads from every single episode is that most of the people that I've interviewed said that, you know, like they want to see real world projects in the portfolio, not student exercises. Yeah. And you know, and so then it comes down to, so I have two kind of issues with that is like, I don't want to give work away for free, you know, mm-hmm. like that whole idea of pro bono. So your yeah. grant solves that <laughs> um, because it's not pro bono now. And the, the second one, and I think this is a more of a bigger struggle, like for me, where I only have two interactive courses, you right. know, and if my students that are in this beginning class they couldn't produce anything viable anyway. Right. Because it's so early in the curriculum. So is that, is, is it fair to say, or am I like overlooking something? That's, that's completely fair to say. And, you know, I found that especially with the city view project, some of the best learning experiences for my students that have come from that project have occurred outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. More to that point, the students that get those unique learning experiences outside of the classroom are also the students that uh, they have a bigger worldview. Um, they're the types of students that would say like, well, hey, RJ, I just spent three and a half, three hours in class with you, but I guess I'll spend another two because we're going to go to this uh, we're going to go to this printing company and see our work being offset printed a million times or, uh, you know, whatever. So, uh, the students that go above and beyond are generally the ones that get the most out of it. You know, again, coming back full circle, the more you put in, the more you get out of it. And some students are willing to do that outside of class. And those are also the students that are going to have, uh, better careers quicker. They're going to be leaders in the industry. And um, those things and ambition, frankly, comes naturally to them. And uh, so I would in, I would say in, in your case, like find a really good project and find a few students and really incentivize them outside of, you know, do the work in class, but do the work outside of class. And um, I think, yeah, it'll be it'll be more hardship on on you as faculty, but uh, nothing happens until someone gets excited excited, and um, you know sometimes that just doesn't 
occur in the classroom. It's like students need to see something truly real and then it just kind of clicks into place. And then they're like, oh, okay, this is a huge six color offset printer and there's my work. I get it now. I could actually have a great career starting now as a sophomore if I put all of myself into it, which is, again, easier said than done. All right. So that's all we have time for today on part two of episode 51 of Design ADU Today. I want to thank today's guest, R.J. Thompson, for being so generous with his time. I also want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and the CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases and updates about the podcast, visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Design EDU today, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes and Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve this show, contact me through the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU today.